Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast as we leave week seven, head into week eight, and the NFL October 31st trade deadline is upon us. And with that, we will be joined today by the man who has a new book out, another author, this time the former Ohio State quarterback, Cardell Jones, former fourth-round pick of the Buffalo Bills. His new memoir is called Cardell Jones, Leading the Buckeyes, Finding My Purpose, and Never Giving Up, as he never gave up in route to leading Ohio State to the 2014 National Championship, which is nearing its 10-year anniversary early next year, and we will be joined today by the great Cardell Jones. But first, we are joined once again by the host of the Fantasy Focus Podcast, my friend, my colleague, Daniel Dopp, for this week's Weekly Six-Pack. All right, Adam, I got some fun things set up for us, but we're going to start here. Topic number one, let's talk Miles Garrett. Oh, my gosh, did you see what this guy did against the Indianapolis Colts this week? Like, forget it, the fact that the game was incredible. Like, that Browns-Colts game, I did not expect it to be what it was. But most importantly, Miles Garrett left his stamp on that game that, for me, solidified him being the front runner of that defensive MVP conversation. What did you think when you were out there watching Miles Garrett just wreck that Colts offense? Just that, Daniel, that he'd become the front runner for the defensive MVP. <laughs> there you and go. what's amazing, what's amazing about it, right, is he has two sacks on Sunday. He turns around the game. He now has 82 career sacks at the age of 28, which is two more than Reggie White had at the same age. Reggie White, one of the greatest defensive players in NFL history. And I noticed, I posted something about it on Instagram, on X, and Calais Campbell chimed in that he thought he'd never see somebody who had the chance to get to 200 career sacks but now that he looks at Miles Garrett, he's wondering whether Miles Garrett can get to 200 career sacks. So he's got 82. He needs 118 more. If we just do some simple math, right? 118 divided by how many more seasons is he going to play? Six more? Seven more? Seven, Probably. seven. Let's say seven seasons. Seven. Yeah, he'd have to average 16.8 sacks for the next. By the way, that doesn't even include the next part of this season. So we're, you're talking about 16 sacks over the next seven years. It doesn't seem out of the question for Miles Garrett, who's become a wrecking crew on the defensive side of the football and proved his worth as the number one overall pick of the draft that he came out of. Absolutely. The dude looks incredible, Adam. If there's one guy that I feel like could do exactly what you're saying, Miles Garrett looks like he is the man to do it. All right. Topic number two, the Minnesota Vikings just took down the San Francisco 49ers on Monday night football, pulling them to three and two in the NFC North, Adam. When you look ahead at their schedule, how are you feeling about the Minnesota Vikings chances here? Think about this, Daniel. We had everybody across the country screaming for the Vikings to trade Kirk Cousins. All the Jet fans say, give us Kirk Cousins. And we kept saying, why are the Vikings trading Kirk Cousins when we don't know what is in store in their season? And guess what? Now they're three and four. They're coming off a huge Monday night win against the 49ers. Kirk Cousins showed up in prime time. And if you look ahead at the schedule, 
It is tasty, Daniel. Okay. Mm. Three and four at Green Bay, at Atlanta, home for New Orleans, at Denver, home for Chicago, at Las Vegas. Like, is there anybody there where you say, well, Minnesota's not going to win that game? I mean, nope. they're not going to win every game, but they have a chance to be in all those games and make a playoff push that nobody saw coming from the Vikings team that everybody was exhorting to trade Kirk Cousins and move on from all these pieces. Now, again, we've talked about the fact that for Justin Jefferson to come back, they were going to have to win. Well, guess what? They're giving hope to all the people who manage Justin Jefferson on their fancy rosters that they're going to put together enough wins to make oh, yeah. a strong enough playoff run that Justin Jefferson could be back later this season. Again, that's what they thought. That's what they said. I always felt like they had to win to get them back. They're winning. So the Vikings are doing their part, and they're impressing. Heck yeah. Adam, as a fantasy manager, I would love to have Justin Jefferson come back to my squad. But to be honest, uh, let's talk. move on to topic number three here. Because for me, fantasy football, a part of what's happened this year is there's been so many injuries. It feels like across the board, we have seen so many major guys get hurt. Adam, we had more guys get hurt this last week. Jerome Ford ended up getting banged up. We've seen more Kareem Hunt because of that. Kyron Williams is on IR for the next four weeks. So how are you looking at this? I feel like you're in the War Room League. Do you have anybody like this that you've been dealing with with injuries? Well, let me say this, Daniel. Kyron Williams and Jerome Ford were the two players that I recommended to most everybody. Oh, and when I did my best ball drafts this summer as exercises to get ready for the football season, the two players that were most heavily owned were Kyron Williams and Jerome Ford. And I go back to a text that I received at 6.07 a.m. on Tuesday, September 19th, which was the morning after Nick Chubb suffered the unfortunate injury that he did. And I had the great Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd texted me. Love Paul. Well, it's looking like your thoughts on Kyron Williams and Jerome Ford were prescient. Wow. And again, he says, we feel sick for Chubb, but now we got Jerome Ford. And guess what? Kyron Williams over the weekend goes on IR, out four games. Jerome Ford on Sunday, high ankle sprain. And that's how quickly fancy football can change because it is a bummer to see those two guys, guys that I have on my lineups everywhere, Go out and very sickening. That's that's how quickly fancy football changes, Daniel. Right? One something it changes for fancy football. It changes for teams. One injury, bang, just like that. You got to figure out how to move on from there. That's part of the frustrating and fun part of fantasy football, Adam. It really is. All right, topic number four. Let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. They have been wheeling and dealing, my friend. After going out and beating the Miami Dolphins. Heard rumors that they traded for Kevin Byard. Adam, give me some details around this trade. We've had more and more trades lately, so I want the deets that you have about this one. Well, what, what I find fascinating is that the Eagles general manager, Howie Roseman, and the Eagles front office never, ever rest. And what they do is they go find these veterans. And they went out last year, I remember being on day two of the draft, and they traded a fourth and a swap of seventh-round draft picks for DeAndre Swift. How's that trade working out? And not only that, but Pretty good. Swift is in the last year of his contract. So if he leaves in free agency and gets a contract somewhere else, they're going to get back a comp pick. So they get back their fourth, basically, that they gave up, but they had Swift this year to replace 
Miles Sanders, who got a huge deal in Carolina. They go and trade a third and fifth round pick for Darius Slay. How's that worked out? They trade first and third round picks to Tennessee for A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown has more receiving yards this season than all the Titans receivers combined. Mm. He's killing people. Mm. And now they go back to Tennessee again for a fifth and sixth round pick along with Terrell Edmonds, and they go get Kevin Byer, who, by the way, is viewed as a leader, as somebody you want in your locker room, not to mention the fact that he's a Pro Bowl player. So they keep finding these guys who are being cast aside on certain teams. They're not paying premium prices. They're paying discounted prices for these guys, and they're plugging them in to go play and make themselves the contender that they are, and this is what they do. And by the way, I think that'll be it for them before the trade deadline, but I never rule them out. They're always sniffing around, always looking, always seeing if there's some other veteran they can pry loose to make that team better. We got the brotherly shove, and we got all these. This is like the equivalent of the brotherly shove. You know that they're going to be trading for veterans all the time, pushing people around, getting people in to help that team. Adam, you talk about, I mean, we, I think this happened after we recorded last week, but you're talking about a trade that happened here. The Eagles also signed Julio Jones. You want to talk about adding a veteran presence to their team. They literally did that after we taped the podcast last week. So Yeah, and, and, and they went out, they looked at the film, and they thought he was good. And I go back to what the Buccaneers said a year ago, just over a year ago, whether it's valid or not. But they said at the start of the season that in training camp last summer, in 2022, that their, maybe their most impressive receiver at training camp was not Mike Evans, was not Chris Godwin, was Julio Jones. Wow. So the Eagles added him as well, and we'll see what he can do for this team down the stretch. All right, topic number five for this six-pack. Let's talk about how good Travis Kelsey is and the splits that he has when Taylor Swift is in the building, Adam Schefter. Yeah, you know, listen, Daniel, I know people get worked up about it. I know they don't like to hear about it anymore. I know that we're not supposed to bring up Taylor Swift. And as I said, facts are facts. That's okay? right. That's in right. The four games that Taylor Swift has been in attendance, he's averaging 108 receiving yards per game. In the game she wasn't there, he's averaging 46 and a half. Now, I'll also say this. As a guy who rosters Travis Kelsey on one of my fancy teams, I remember the day that she showed up against Chicago and like there was this buzz in the building. All I have to say is think about if you had a girlfriend showing up at your job for the first time, you'd want to show out, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And by the way, if it's this torrid new hot romance and it's going on strong and she keeps coming, you're going to want to keep showing out. So, as somebody who has him on my fancy team, I want Taylor Swift to show up to every game right now until that relationship, <laughs> the honeymoon phases off. Then she can stay home, go on a European tour, go on a new tour, leave him alone. But until then, keep on coming. Keep on coming because it is bringing out the best in him right now. I am with you, Adam. I think we need to get her season tickets. I think the Chiefs Nation just needs to get her season tickets so that she's always there for every single one of those home games at least. And it's nice because you get to see her also on the road. She's got that, that cachet to be able to show up to those road games. So I am totally with you. I love being able to see this because Travis Kelsey looks like a man reinvigorated out on the field with Patrick Mahomes out there. And selfishly, we want that romance to keep flourishing and blossoming. Um, we want it to keep going on all year long. The Chiefs play on Christmas Day. 
Ooh. And that game is the Slime Time game on Nickelodeon this year. And shut up. You know, there there are certain people that are going to be working that game for Nickelodeon. So we would love for people that we know very well, that we love very much, that we care about a whole lot, to have the opportunity yeah. to meet Taylor Swift. Well, that would be kind of cool if that were to happen on Christmas Day this year. So we'll see how that works out too, Daniel. Fingers crossed, Adam. That would be awesome. All right. Number six, our final topic of the six-pack. Let's talk about coming up. C.J. Stroud, the number two overall pick, has looked fantastic for the Houston Texans. Now going to be taking on Bryce Young, the number one overall pick for the winless Carolina Panthers, Adam. And maybe it started already, but let this be the first spot that this conversation begins because you're going to be hearing about it all week long. Everybody's yep. going to go back and revisit. Did the Panthers do the right thing? They traded up, and they traded an awful lot, and they traded up to go take Bryce Young. Yep. The Texans, at number two, traded up and got C.J. Stroud. They traded up to three, but they moved up knowing that they could get Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud has looked like a baller, and C.J. Stroud has put on a show so far. And I'm going to say this to you also. Everybody remembers the viral video when Josh McCown, one of the Panthers' assistant coaches, showed up and told C.J. Stroud, hey, get ready, you know, get ready to move to – Charlotte or whatever it was that he said, there was that video and mm -hmm. they didn't pick him. And maybe CJ Stroud is going to put a real plain, simple spin on it this week. But if there was somebody that bypassed me in the draft, you'd remember that. How many times do we hear about Amon Ross St. Brown remembers every one of the receivers picked ahead every of him? Single one. Yes. Right. Or all the players who are pissed off about all the guys that went, well, there was one guy, one guy that went in front of, C.J. Stroud. Yep. He's got the chance to meet up with that guy this week. And so I think that this matchup is going to be a little bit more personal to him, just like Travis Kelsey finds certain motivation yeah. in certain ways when girlfriend <laughs> shows. I think this is going to be C.J. Stroud's motivation this upcoming weekend playing against Bryce Young, and we're going to see how that works out. And both teams, those picks are going to be analyzed all week long. Oh, yeah. Starts right here. And, and I figured that would be a worthy last Six-pick item as we lead into our next guest, Daniel, another Ohio State quarterback. So we go from our conversation about C.J. Stroud to a conversation with Cardale Jones, who has a new book out called Leading the Buckeyes, Finding My Purpose, and Never Giving Up. And when he showed up here, after not giving up, first thing he does, as you'll see in this conversation, he brings out an Ohio State football helmet. Thank you, Cardale Jones. Yeah, I'm just sit this here. I'm just sit this here. I see that helmet in the background. Uh, so yeah, hey, how you doing? Oh, this right here. Oh, I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Hey, how you doing? Hey, here's the thing about that. That kind of stuff doesn't bother me. It doesn't <laughs> bother know, me. Yeah, I love that though. I love it, man. You know what? If you still had the win streak against our school, against Michigan, then it might bother me a little bit more. But I'm good with that, Cardale. I could look at that helmet now and accept it without any sort of objection. You know what? I love that, man. And, and kudos to you for the last two years, even though you guys uh, forfeited three years ago. But it's okay. <laughs> and then, you know what? These right here, this is the only piece of jewelry I wear. And this is the gold pants that we get when we beat Michigan. And in 2014, I was lucky enough to be able to play in that game. And that's the only game I ever played in versus the team up north. And he's the only gold pants. So I have four. Every time you beat them, you get a pair. I got four, but that's the only pair I care about because the only game I played in. And it's the only piece of jewelry I wear. 
I don't wear the rings. I don't wear earrings. I don't wear watches, really. And this is the only piece of jewelry that I really hold near, dear to my heart. Is that right? First of all, I heard you say the word Michigan. I heard you say it, okay? It's okay. So I, it's okay. I, I heard you say it. But secondly, the Ohio State players get a gold pin if they beat Michigan? Yeah. So it goes back to the Woody Hayes and Bo Schimberg. Well, actually, the Woody Hayes days, actually, Bo was a part of the um, team and on the staff at the time where – you know, you guys were that's uh, pre as late what early sixties, I think that is yeah. uh, late fifties when it was just a domination. And Woody Hayes made a comment, or one of the coaches, I can't remember who directly it was, made a comment saying basically they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like us, and that's where the rivalry and that's where these were born. So it's like representing beating the pants off Michigan. And so you wear that all the time, like on a, you don't take it off. I, you know what, I wear it mostly in football season. You know, wow. usually most of the time in the rest of the year is just hanging up at the house, like kind of on my nightstand. But football season, yeah, I, I wear these faithfully. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It haven't bring me it haven't brought me much luck the last two years, but uh <laughs> So it wasn't like you just wore that specifically for me today, Cardell, right? Is no, that of course not. I actually intentionally tilted the camera up so you don't see the whole <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I don't I can't rub it in much because you guys got the last two dubs, so and how do you feel about this year? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, the cool that's thing not about a glory. That's not a ringing endorsement there for your school. But, oh my God, man! Listen, I'm trying to be unbiased. Uh, <laughs> the cool thing about rivalries is that once you get to that week, rivalry week, I mean, it's the coolest week in all the sports because usually you got every rivalry game going on that you can think of, from Alabama, Auburn to uh, the Civil War out in Oregon, Oregon State, and things like that. And um, records go out the window, and you know this. I mean, you've been covering yeah. sports longer than I've been around. Records go out the window. You never know. You can't bank on what happened last year. You can't bank on what happened in the previous 20 years. Can't bank on anything, right? And you usually see a lot of um, unsung heroes kind of emerge in rivalry games. And, I mean, from I can think of numerous just in Ohio State-Michigan rivalry alone. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll see. Well, let me ask you a question. Now, you have a new book out, and we're going to get to your book, Leading the Buckeyes, Finding My Purpose, and never giving up. But I do want to ask you about being that we're on the topic, the 2014 season, which of course ended with Ohio State being the first ever college football playoff championship team. What do you remember but, about that, Cardell? I mean, everything, everything uh, from going into the game uh, versus Michigan and earning these gold pants to really preparing for Alabama. Well, actually preparing for Wisconsin the following week, then Alabama and getting to playoffs. I think the wildest moment of that time for me personally was when we jumped. I think it was TCU and Baylor yeah. from six. I think we were six or seven and they were four and, and five. And it would hurt them clearly. No. Um, and then ironically, I got a Michigan killer calling me right now. Who is that? JT Barrett. Oh <laughs> yeah, no. that's the, and that's the picture you have on your phone of him beating Michigan. That's me and my guy. That was my set. That was my first year away from Ohio State. I had an opportunity. I was with the Bills. Um, I had an opportunity. I think it turned perfectly with a bye week, and I flew up to the game. And uh, he holding up. I'm holding up a four. He holding up a five for how many gold pants we got. So he got five. I got four. So that's yeah, that's my guy, and I and I give him a call back later. I know me and him been playing phone tag last couple of days because he's up in in uh, Detroit, Michigan, um, coaching for the Lions. So yes. he got he got some Wolverines and some Buckeyes on that team. But going back to that 2014 season, I think it was um, that was the biggest thing. All the hype that we got when we jumped TCU, and, and I think like I said, it was Baylor at the time, and um, everything that we was going through 
throughout the season and it gives you an opportunity to look back and reflect and, you know, you really appreciate the journey that, you know, you guys ultimately um, achieved the goal that you set out to achieve. It's almost a 10-year anniversary of that team. Is it still as fresh in your mind? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You don't like me to age you there? Is that you Don't make me sound too old. <laughs> 10 years is nothing. Um, yeah, and, and that's crazy. And uh, hopefully the Buckeyes can bring one sooner rather than later. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's crazy to even think about it. And look where we at now with college football. I, you know, just in a short period of nine or 10 years, the whole college football playoff system is going to evolve to 12 teams next year and into the structure of the conferences. And, hmm. you know, looking at my time in college, you know, eight years ago now, it's night and day from from NIL to conferences to rules and regulations to everything. Transfer portal. Everything. You're now back in Columbus to help run an NIL fund for Ohio State student athletes. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this new era we're in with college football and the NIL where the sport is being redefined on an almost daily basis, it seems, Cardinal? You know, that, that's a great question. And I think, you know, yeah, me and a buddy, Brian Schottenstein, runs a, a collective, you know, that's, I guess the name that they gave us, a collective nonprofit organization where we help um, benefit immediate student athlete opportunities in the NIL space um, here at Ohio State. And, you know, I had an opportunity early on to testify the state house to get NIL passed here in the state of Ohio. And I was four, but I really wasn't. It was, it was kind of a thin line. And I think I foresee, I foresaw a lot of the issues that we see today in NIL. When you talk about freshmen coming in, making a lot of money or um, being taken in recruiting or being incentivized in recruiting. And, you know, I, I firmly believe that it was going to create a bigger gap between the haves and have nots. Um, when I'm talking about the major powerhouses in college athletics um, versus, you know, the, you know, the other smaller conferences and, and universities, either even smaller schools and, and, and major conferences. Right. Um, I was just making this comment the other day. I said, man, it, it got to be tough to recruit players to come to Minnesota, you know, um, and I think Coach Fletch is doing a great job with that. But the aspect and the hindrance of NIL, right, is is a huge factor and a lot of these guys recruitment process. And I think our AD just came out last week and just said, you know, some of these guys are asking for five to 10 grand just to take a visit to a university. Right. Whoa. So which is, is like, it's crazy to see where NIL has evolved to. And uh, in layman's terms, it's just marketing deals. Right. Um, yep. But, you know, I was always for the universities paying the players um, coming up with some type of revenue share agreement with the players and have structures and tiers of that versus letting it be the wild, wild west because you get so many different inputs enhanced within your program, mm-hmm. right? Can I can only imagine, and I don't know if this a coach had built this yet, but it's going to come a day and age where a coach is going to deal with a player going to a 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 NIL appearance, and it's going to conflict with either class or practice or walkthrough or tutoring. And how do you, police that right i mean there's no really incentivizing that player not to go to that what you're gonna do find him you can't do that you don't control his funds right and then um you know and how can you accurately tell a kid hey no miss out on that fifty thousand dollars i need you at this one hour and 20 minute class or this tutor or you know things so it's a you know it's definitely a curveball in coaching and college athletic that kept me steer away from coaching in college i tell you that (laughs) (laughs) you didn't want to do that huh 
Not a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but you, you, your comments, they bring us right back to your famous tweet from 2012, which I'm sure you're asked about to this day. Yeah. Why should we have to go to class if we came here to play football? We ain't yeah. come to play school. Classes are pointless. That well, was the tweet, Cardell, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think out of that whole comment, 99% of it is true, except the classes are pointless. Point. But you look at these kids around the country when they commit to a university. They don't say, I'm committing to Ohio State uh, Business School, Fisher Business School, to further my education. No, you don't You don't even sell me that in, in the recruiting process, which I understand. I understand certain things that athletes have to do or inner city kids or kids period have to do to get on these college campuses is athletics, right? So – I know it's not going to be too much tied into the academic part of things, but that is a requirement and a standard. And, um, and that's kind of assumption that you understand you still have to go to school here. Right. Um, but, you know, my argument has always been if a doctor, if I'm a, you know, it's, it's extremely tough to become a doctor, a lawyer, a, um, a journalism, um, a, um, you know, an artist, but yet, you know, knowing the odds to making it to those levels, you still put things in place at a university level to help them get there, right? If that's classes, if that's certain, um, you know, when you designate a college and a school in your major, why can't you major in your sport? So if you had to redo that tweet today, though, the only part that you would take out is that classes are pointless. The rest of the tweet is still as uh, applicable in 2023 <laughs> as it was in 2012. Exactly. I would just take out the class or pointless part because I would word it a little bit differently and say, hey, can I get some more football classes or can I get more classes that's going to help me be a better quarterback? And the great thing about that time period, I'm glad that tweet was the only one that really blew up because I kind of went on a little rant right after. And, you know, I said something like, you know, what the heck does this sociology class got to do with me being better quarterback? How's it going to help me be a better quarterback? Right. Because I think I was a little ahead of my time when it came to thinking when it came to just trying to perform at a high level in a major in a high stress environment as far as, you know, Ohio State. You know, I'm just thinking though, I got on, on Twitter in 2009. That tweet was in 2012. That tweet back in the day went viral, right? There were not many tweets going viral. That was I, probably yeah. one of the first tweets my art, that went my viral, argument. Cardell. Adam, that's, that's my argument. I don't know if you ever heard me say this before. I say, you know, I know it's Elon Musk now and he call it X, but, Y'all owe me something. Y'all owe me some royalties or something because that was the first tweet that really went viral and that was covered by pretty much any and everybody. I mean, that thing was on CNN. It was on uh, Good Morning America. It was on um, ESPN, clearly, and Fox and all this stuff. And I remember vaguely when I was sitting in my dorm because my coach had suspended me for that upcoming game. I think that happened on a Thursday or Friday. And we played Saturday. It was Nebraska's first year in the Big Ten. It was both teams were undefeated. It was Saturday night, Scarlet out the shoe, Urban Myers first year. So all this hype uh, was built up around us. And I brought so much negative publicity to the university and to the program. Mm -hmm. He just suspended me for that game. Hey, don't show up, blah, blah, blah. So as I'm at home in my dorm watching the game getting ready, uh, pretty much that Saturday morning, it was a night game. They're still talking about it. And I remember watching, I forgot what station it was, but the, uh, the end, the um, anchor was like, yes, um, Ohio State student athlete takes his thoughts to social media on a site called Twitter and tweeted her out. Like she didn't even know, she didn't understand it's like it's tweeted, you know what I'm saying? And, and Twittered out his thoughts on education and stuff like that. So, and like, I remember right after 
if you don't know what Twitter is, it's a social media site where you can post about, like Twitter, you couldn't even DM yet. You couldn't post pictures yet. It was just literally tweet something and retweet or like it. That was it. You couldn't what? like, you couldn't comment or you couldn't like add to the retweets with it or things like, you couldn't do any of that stuff yet. Do people still remind you about that tweet today? I mean, yeah, a lot of people, because I think it's ironic that, you know, clearly I still graduated from Ohio State, which was a huge um, accomplishment for me and, and one of the biggest goals I set out at that time in my life. And um, I think on my cap, or my graduation cap, you know, I, I quoted like someone once said, we didn't come here to play school. So it was kind of a poke at myself and a poke at that. I got so much heat from it for people, you know, um, from the outside looking in clearly because I mean, you know, understandably, they didn't think I took academics and, um, you know, education as serious as I did personally and as serious as the university and the football program did. You know, we took pride and we still take pride in our um, team GPA. You know, we take pride and we make a big deal of um, academic accomplishments just as much as athletic accomplishments. So it was definitely a um, a dark cloud I put on the university and the football program in particular for my immature comments at the time. But you put it on your graduation cap when you graduated the Ohio State? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> what made you do that? Um, just poking fun at it because I can remember a lot of the um, things that, you know, media or people were saying about me. And I was, you know, I was dumb and, you know, dumb jock and just a lot of negative things. And it was like, okay, well, ultimately I got the last laugh because, you know, yeah, that was I get you might have developed that opinion about me from a, a tweet, but this is who I really am. Right. And I think one of the things that I said, actually, after the 2014 season um, and had an opportunity to potentially go to the NFL and probably been drafted higher than I was drafted the following year. I said the biggest thing is like I really want to finish my degree It's something I worked extremely hard for. It's something I put a lot of manpower and hours behind. And I want to work my butt off to attain this. And you did. You got your degree. I did. Yeah. Now, so what that's the great you, part. Now, what made you want to write a book, Cardale? That book's a lot of work. They're a lot of work. It, it is. It is. And I always enjoy writing um, from a very young age. Um, I think what really inspired me to do so, it was first year really out of football. It was COVID, right? XFL yep. just shut down. I mean, the world really just shut down. And it was my first real fall out football. And I was still going through my routine of training and working out and things like that. But I still had I had as much free time on my hands than I ever had in my life, period. You know, so I'm like, I want to maximize this. You know, it, it helped me become a more involved dad at the time um, where I'm not just seeing my kiddos, you know, on bye weeks, you know, during that time of the year or in between training. Um, and I really just dove deep into my experience at Ohio State and I figured, you know, I can my experience and, and some of the things that I went through and how I got through them can help, you know, the next student athlete. Because I do believe that, you know, my career is very, um, I think, more likely to happen to someone far as going to a university, highly recruited and starting from ground zero. I mean, and really trying to build back up and try to make a name for yourself. That's more likely to happen in coming out five star starting as a freshman, All-American, NFL first-round draft pick, and, and so on, right? We see more careers like mine, and, and, and you know, I've seen many guys that didn't respond well to taking the back seat when they first enter mm -hmm. or on campus. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, sharing my experience and sharing some of the things I went through, um, I think, I mean, I don't think I had the worst experience ever, but it was definitely tough and it was different. And I think that can help someone get through not just their college experience, but just through life in tough times, period.
Now, there's a story in the book about how you as a child stuck a bobby pin in an outlet and got electrocuted. What happened there? <laughs> uh, that's and, and that's funny because one of my favorite stories to tell, and, and I kid you guys not, and I really wish I had some of my other siblings sitting right next to me. I don't recall being able to throw a football that good until then. Until after that moment. And I'm not saying that that shot gave me powers or anything like that, but I'm telling you, my brothers and really my sisters are pretty athletic as well. They did not let me play games with them. They did not let me throw the ball around. Like it was keep away my time. And I don't really recall being able to throw before then. You know, so um yeah, so wow. my sister's room and uh, you know, I was just a curious kid. I'm still a curious person. And I was like, you know, this thing looked like the little Jackson from a from a um like a core outlet. Let me see what that does. Man, I stuck that thing. That thing threw me across the room. <laughs> that thing <laughs> threw me across the room. And like, you know, it, it was bad. And, and, you know, I'm still shaking up about it at the time. And, you know, my mom walked in the room and she realized what I did. I still got my butt kicked. I'm just like, geez, I got shocked and my butt whooped. So that sucked. Wow. So if you <laughs> hadn't been shocked that day, then Michigan might have been able to beat you in 2014. I, you know what? You know what? <laughs> only one can tell, right? Only, only, yeah. I think, I think we can uh, make that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> you also talked about Urban Meyer in the book. What was his tough love coaching like for you? You know what? I think it was just different. It was just different. It was something that, um, you know, I, I don't, I didn't really have the greatest experience or relationship with Coach Meyer at, at my time in Ohio State because I think. And that's no knock on him. I think he did a great job. And you look at his track record of coaches underneath him, why they all go on to have, um, you know, head coaching careers and do great things. He put that onus on our position coaches. Right? I mean, I get it. He's dealing with 109 guys a year, you know, turning over probably 30 to 40. It's no real time and day to make a impact and relationship with everyone. I get that, you know, and I'm, I'm not selfish enough to say, oh, I wish I had a better relationship with him. Because he put his onus on his coaches to develop those personal relationships where he didn't spread himself too thin. And he can keep his eye on, you know, the ultimate prize of leading his team in the right direction. Um, but, yeah, I think the things that I talk about with him, I mean, you know, people can look at him two different ways. Of if he was a jerk or if he was as militant as people make him out to be. And I think it's a little of both, actually. So I think it's a little of both because, you know, I think at that time where you at the, you know, top of college football at a place like Ohio State, um, you got to do whatever you got to do to keep guys motivated, to keep guys competing at a high level and to ultimately continue to solidify your job. Because, as I mean, I'm pretty sure Ryan Day is feeling this right now. I mean, you know, I think he lost four or five games here as a head coach, but, you know, 0-2 versus Michigan as a head duck and, um People, some people call him for his job because of just those two games. So Ohio State is a place where you are continually on notice and you continue to perform and continue to produce at a high level. How much attention do you pay to the NFL these days, Cardell? A lot still, a lot. I mean, you know, I still got so many teammates from college um, and, and a few family members playing in the NFL. And you know, I try to keep up with those guys as much as possible. Actually, I'm going to make it out to a few NFL games this year to see some guys that, you know, I play with in college. Who's the guy that you pay the most attention to? Uh, Kobe Bryant out of Seattle Seahawks. Uh, you know, Glenville kid uh, from the neighborhood, Cincinnati, coached by Coach Fickle. Coach Fickle recruited me. I uh, played with Kobe's brothers, my little cousin. And, um, yeah. you know, a guy that just overachieved. You know, if if you guys would have said or if I would have said Kobe's going to be playing the NFL one day after 
seeing him in high school, I'd have been like, ah, it's a long shot. But for him to come out in, in college and win a Jim Thorpe Award and then, you know, go on to be drafted by the Seahawks and perform at a high level as a rookie and then, you know, go into his uh, second year and still producing and add value to that defense, uh, overachiever for sure. What do you think of what C.J. Stroud has done so far for the Houston Texans as we tape this? Um, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, I love when a guy like C.J. and I naturally gravitate. I think we naturally gravitate to each other when we first met each other. You know, he was going through a situation where he was in a quarterback battle, right? Um, just like I was, right, uh, with a lot of things. I think Urban recruited C.J. and Ryan recruited um uh, Devin at the time, or no, uh, Kyle at the time. So Urban's not there anymore. So probably feeling something like, oh, I'm not this guy's guy. Um, this other guy got more leeway. Whatever he may have been feeling, I understood it because I felt that, right? I walked into that, you know, immediately, um, not mm -hmm. being that staff's guy. And understand it, I already knew what he had to bring to the table. Um, just from his attitude, never seen him play. Never seen him play to that point when we ran into each other and we met and we spoke 20, 30 minutes. And I'm like, man, he's going to be like if his mindset is like that on the field as well as how he's approaching just life, I think he can be special here. Right. And um, I'm pretty sure a lot of people thought that just meeting him for the first time. But what he's doing right now, loving it. I mean, a guy having through an interception yet, I'm taking care of the ball um, and he continues to get better each and every week with not, you know, too many weapons around him. But he's just. You know, he's playing within the system. He's out there looking comfortable each and every week, and he, he's getting the job done. So far, he looks like the best player from last year's draft so far as we tape this. You, you know what? So far, I, I do agree with that, but you have some amazing players in this past draft with um, Anthony Richardson, uh, Bryce Young, clearly, uh, CJ, and then some of these receivers as well. Um, I think this is what has been one of the deepest drafts in the last couple of years, um, just with skill players in particular. But CJ was, I mean, going in, he was always definitely uh, a guy that you knew that was one of the top, you know, five guys in his draft overall. And how good is Marvin Harrison Jr. going to be at the next level, Cardale? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, man, wow. I remember two years ago when Marvin was coming off his freshman year. And I had an opportunity to throw at Ohio State Pro Day. And I so I would train there and, you know, I would get some routes done. And, and he wanted to get some extra work. I'm like, let's throw then. Let's do it. So we, I'm talking NFL ball with him and things like that. And I'm pretty sure he heard all this stuff from before being the son of a freaking legend, actually my favorite receiver of all time. Um, and watching his range, seeing him run, seeing him get out of breaks and seeing his stride, seeing how athletic he was, his, his, he, he's the most rangiest person that I ever seen with my own two eyes far as, and I mean, he displayed every week with his ability to catch the ball, right. And, and crazy positions and just, I mean, his hands are humongous. Right. And then you don't think a guy like that has that much speed, but I mean, I think still to this day, he has ran the fastest time this year in all the football. I think it was like two weeks ago, versus Western uh, Kentucky with 23 miles per hour on the football field. Right. I think he broke a big one, but I think he's going to be special at the next level. And I think he's going to be a guy that's going to have immediate impact on whatever organization he goes to. Who was the best receiver that you ever played with? Wow, that I ever played with. I mean, I'm going to name some guys, I guess, in college. I'm going to, um, I'm going to have to say, um, it, I can't say Michael Thomas because he has got a lot better in the NFL. Um, okay. But for what I like to do, take the ball deep, I'm going to have to say Devin Smith. 
Um, he was one of the guys that, you know, can outrun in coverage. Um, but in, at Ohio State, you know, our receiver core was a little bit different than these guys now. You know, I think I cut off my left arm to play with these guys now because all of these guys are special and can do everything just as good as the next guy. When I was playing, Devin, we knew Devin was our deep threat, right? He was really only focusing on one or two routes, maybe three. Yeah. Mike was a big-time possession guy. Mike Tom was a big-time possession guy. Who can take you deep, though? But that wasn't his forte. Great possession receiver. Going to You know, those 50-50 balls with Mike was like 80-20, right? And then you had guys like Jalen Marshall, Dontre Wilson, who were guys just get the ball mm -hmm. to in space and let them do what they got to do, right? Kill you in the immediate game. And then Braxton Miller as well, when he trans um, when he made the transition to receiver. And then you saw special things in younger guys like Paris and like Johnny Dixon and like Terry McLaren, like, and those guys that you knew was going to be special. I don't, I wouldn't say I knew these guys would be this special, but you knew they were going to be special. But my favorite guy, because of what I love to do on a football field is Devin Smith. But nobody compares to Marvin Jr.? I don't, I don't think none of these guys can compare to him. Um, I think all of, I think Marvin has the best attribute in all of them all in one. I mean, Marvin is just as a deep threat as anyone else. Like I say, he just dropped 23 miles per hour on the field. Um, you know, and then his – I mean, the, the guy don't drop the ball. His route running is ridiculous. I think uh, Mike was a really great route runner as well. And I think those 50-50 balls to Marvin is more like maybe 85-15, you know. So, um, I definitely think he is uh, one of the best receivers to ever play at Ohio State, if not the best. You have to go back. You know, I know we had Terry Glenn and – um, you know, Chris Carter and Tegan Jr. and a lot of guys like that. But mm. it's not one thing that stands out to Marvin say, oh, yeah, he's just dominant at deep ball. No, he he is a complete receiver. I think he's one of the most complete receivers in Ohio State history. Hey, Cardell, I wish you a lot of luck with the book. I hope it's a huge success. I hope you become a New York Times bestseller and <laughs> you enter that into your forte. And then you could tweet out something that maybe supplants your tweet from 2012 about becoming a best-selling author. We'll see. That is the goal, and I appreciate it as always. Great catching up with you. And uh, we'll see here in about what in the <laughs> November, which one of us that you know have the last laugh for this year into next year. Cardell, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. And there is the former Ohio State quarterback, Cardell Jones, new author, leading the Buckeyes, finding my purpose, never giving up. We wish him the best with that book as well. And that tweet, nobody will ever, ever. Forget that tweet from Cardale Jones. All right, let's bring back my friend, the host of the Fancy Focus podcast, Daniel Dop. Daniel, we wrapped up our fantasy basketball draft yes. last week. And I'm just curious to know your takeaways of your team from the draft with you holding the number one pick in a 14-team, nine-category league. Wow, I'll tell you what, it was a third round reversal too. So in the first round, going with Joker always makes me feel good. I got to be honest though, Adam, I'm a fantasy football guy. So I yeah. took some chances here. All right. I, I made sure that I had some resources available to me so that while I was drafting, I was making some decent picks. But uh, adding guys like Kyrie Irving, Zach Levine, Kawhi Leonard, like I, I was thrilled with that. I had to get me some Detroit Pistons as well. I, made sure I knew, that, yeah, knew, that was gonna yep. knew it was going to happen. So I don't dislike my team. I think I got to get a little bit into the season until I can know where I'm at, some strengths and weaknesses. But I'll tell you what, being able to have Joker, number one overall, he's like the Band-Aid that fixes a little like a little bit of everything. He's unbelievable. He just delivers one year. all those categories. Like you're, you feel so safe with him. So I'm excited to see how I can go this year. 
Well, the guy that I was going to take at number nine all along was Devin Booker. And when, uh. and when nine came up and my slot was on the board, I had a choice of Devin Booker and or Anthony Edwards. And I'm like, huh. And it's funny how in my mind I had accepted the fact that I was taking Devin Booker until I didn't until and took right. Anthony Edwards. And so that's going to be one of the picks that stays with me all year long, comparing Devin Booker to Anthony Edwards. And the other pick that I thought is going to stay with me for an awful long time would be in the sixth round with the 79th overall selection, being that I was guard light because I went to Anthony Edwards in the first round. I took Terry Rozier, scary Terry from mm-hmm. Carolina. I was debating between a couple of guys, one of them being Jabari Smith, who wound up going a mere four picks later to one field Yates. So if I regret that and Jabari comes on, I'll have to pay the price and maybe I could always trade for Jabari Smith. But that was something that was interesting to me. And I also noticed that since the league has gotten underway, if you'll notice, Daniel, um, I made the very first move in the league. Yeah, of course you did, Adam. Of I, course. I, 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 I pride myself <laughs> on that. And not only did I make the first move, which let the record show, I drafted Trey Murphy, moved him to IR, picked up Haywood Highsmith from Miami, moved him to IR, picked up Kentavious Cowboy Pope, who I subsequently dropped already for Xavier <laughs> Tillman after the Stephen Adams news of the season-ending surgery. So I've made a number of moves before we even got underway. Dropped Jalen Johnson, the small forward from the Atlanta Hawks, to pick up Zaire Williams, shooting guard Memphis. All of a sudden, I'm into Memphis now with Zaire Williams and Xavier Tillman. This is what I love. Daniel, my hobby is back. I woke up this morning, the day we record this, Tuesday, October 24th, and I said, forget about the NBA being back. Fantasy basketball is back. My obsession, my vice, my outlet, my escape. It's back. My built-in five-minute cigarette break every single day is back. I'm back to smoking. We're smoking, Daniel. We're smoking. All right. I want to thank our guest this week, Cardell Jones, for the time that he gave us. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Bustle and Sarah Abbott, along with the host of the Fancy Focus podcast, Daniel Dopp, and you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we are scheduled to be joined by the offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans, Bobby Slowick. Until then, everybody, have a great week. Be well and stay safe. (laughs) 